This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got a very special interview for you, and this is with John Fobert. And so the reason why I'm bringing John in today is because I've wanted to cover the topic of pornography for a very long time on this podcast. I know I've made mention of it here or there, but I wanted to do an entire episode on it, but I didn't feel that I could do the subject matter justice because it is a massive, massive issue For men all over the world, Christians, non-Christians, liberals, conservatives, it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from or what your worldview is. This seems to be an issue for a lot of guys. And now I'm especially concerned about this because I have a son. I have a son now and he's going to be bombarded with pornographic images and all types of things as he walks through his life. And so I wanted to make sure that I was ready before that, but I just didn't feel like I was adequate enough to be able to talk about that. So that's why I'm bringing in the big gun. So I want to read to you from his bio and then we'll talk a little bit about today's show. Dr. John Fobert is an interdisciplinary scholar and thought leader who uses trauma-informed data-based practices to write and speak about sexual assault prevention, bystander intervention, and the harms of pornography. Dr. Fobert released his 10th book in 2017 titled How Pornography Harms, What Teens, Young Adults, Parents, and Pastors Need to Know. How Pornography Harms is an indictment of the pornography industry and a complete resource demonstrating why people should avoid porn and how parents can guide their children. Dr. Fobert has been a guest several times on CNN and NPR. He is cited regularly in news outlets like the New York Times, U.S. News and World Report, and the Huffington Post. Dr. Fobert has testified before Congress and has been called upon by the White House and the Pentagon about how to end sexual violence. He travels nationwide to speak to colleges, military units, high schools, conferences, and churches about sexual assault and the harms of pornography. Okay, so those are his credentials. And this is a guy that I know personally. This is a guy that went to the same church as me for a while. Uh, We didn't know each other supremely well, uh, but we finally got together to do this interview. And if the book that he wrote, How Pornography Harms, sounds familiar, it's because it is on our list of the 100 books that every modern Christian man should read list. That's just at undaunted.life backslash book list, undaunted.life backslash book list. This is one of the books that made the cut of 100. And it's because I feel like it does the best job of encapsulating the entirety of the pornography issue because I've read other Christian books about pornography and they're making arguments based on scripture, which is obviously a good thing about why you shouldn't watch porn and what Jesus would think. And, you know, would you be looking at that if Jesus was in the room with you? And that might be effective to some people, but it wasn't really effective for me because in my teenage years and maybe early twenties, you know, pornography was an issue. Masturbation was an issue. And it's something that I've gotten control of now that I'm, that I'm older or now that it's seemingly more, uh, more at top of mind, I guess you could say, but those arguments didn't really stand up for me. But when my foxhole read his book back in about 2018 or so, the arguments he was making were about like how pornography and watching pornography weakens your brain and changes your brain chemistry. 
what pornography can lead to in terms of actions in everyday life. And the thing I love about this interview is I had enough questions to take us to, you know, an hour and a half or two hours with, with some of the other types of guests that I've had before. But John is very concise. He, he's very cogent in his arguments and in his reactions to things. But and however long this podcast ends up being, it's incredibly dense and it's on a very, very tough subject. I hope you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get into it. John Fobert, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, man, I've been looking forward to this for a while now because we had talked about this a couple of years ago, but then we finally kind of got this going so that you could bring your message to our audience. But in terms of an introduction, you write and speak about sexual assault prevention and bystander intervention and the harms of pornography overall. And those aren't exactly light and fun topics. We'll we'll put it in that category. But what does your your interest or or maybe even your duty uh, with those subjects, where does that come from? That's a good question. I I like to get involved in controversial subjects where I don't see as many Christians um, being involved and uh, doing research or speaking or what have you. So um, I originally got into sexual assault prevention, uh, goodness, almost 30 years ago. And then I um, kind of transferred, not transferred, but I, I got involved with researching pornography about 10 years ago. Um, and it's just something I found very meaningful where I could make contributions. And so uh, I don't know. It's just it's a calling. Well, I feel like to a certain degree, I really like what you said about getting into areas that Christians don't really get into a lot. On this podcast, we go into a lot of subject matters that you would never hear spoken about from the pulpit, or at least not spoken about in such forceful ways, which is why I like your your tactics, because you're very straightforward in your approach, but you also bring the data. And obviously, the, the big reason why I wanted to have you on this podcast is because of your book, How Pornography Harms. And so that was a book that you released, what was that, 2017? Yeah, 2017. Okay. And the thing about it is we, we actually read that in our foxhole. So we talk about our our Sunday night group here on this podcast a lot. And we talk about uh, the different things we read. We read books about money. We read books about marriage. And we also read books about how pornography can like rewire your brain. But basically with that book in chapter one of that book, you say that porn is central in the American culture. What did you mean by that? Well, I, pornography is so ubiquitous. I mean, it's it's all over the place, um, all over the internet, and it is so often accessed that it's really become part of the culture of uh, men and increasingly women in the United States. I mean, you know, ninety four percent of men and eighty seven percent of women have seen pornography at some point in their lifetime. That's not you know a daily use rate, of course, but you know basically all of all of adults and increasingly um, certainly adolescents and uh, even younger than that have seen it, and it just becomes part of uh, the culture. The more people are who get involved with it, whether it's watching it once a month or once a day. Well, and the thing about that is I think people don't understand the ubiquity of it and how pervasive it is for a lot of folks. And I especially think you'll you'll find parents that just assume their kids aren't really getting it. And it's like, you know, the way that I access porn as a kid is we went over to some random neighborhood and some kid, you know, had a couple of pictures under his bed. And right. now we live in a world where, you know, eight-year-olds have smartphones without any any blockers or locks on it. And the other thing that I think is we don't really, we kind of give short shrift to the results of pornography use. And so another thing you mm-hmm. talk about in the book is how in your experience, all of the cases that you've either consulted on or, or been a part of that involved sexual violence 
also in some way, shape or form, 100% of the time involved pornography. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that for us? Um, that was actually a quote by Marianne Layden, who is the head of the Counseling Center at the University of Pennsylvania. And one of the things that she noted was that, you know, she'd been a, a clinical psychologist for 25 years and about 10 years into it, she realized that she hadn't talked to a single client who'd been sexually assaulted where pornography wasn't involved in some way. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, you, you mentioned uh, earlier about the eight-year-old seeing pornography on uh, on the on their iPhones um, with and them being unblocked and stuff. I, I basically consider that to be parental malpractice. I mean, you need to make sure that you lock down your kids' devices so it they at least have to work hard to access porn. I mean, it's it's very difficult to block it out entirely, but. Um, eight-year-olds don't usually go looking for pornography. They usually happen upon it um, just by accident. Yeah, and we'll certainly spend a little bit more time later on this podcast for a lot of guys that are listening to this that maybe have overcome pornography and the and kind of the mm -hmm. change that, that brings for themselves, but they are worried about their kids. So we'll spend a little bit of time on that. But I'll yeah. say for me, even years uh, after I had read that book for the first time, How Pornography Harms, the most lasting bits of content from your book involve what viewing pornography does to the human brain. So oh, can yeah. you give our listeners a little bit of a primer on that as to kind of what effect that has? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I would preface it by is that particularly adolescent brains or people who are under the age of 24, their brains are particularly malleable. And so um, you don't fully form the prefrontal cortex until the age of 24, 25, which is the thinking part of the brain. And so what one of the things that that pornography will do now that we have high speed internet and um, so many websites that have multiple pictures on them is it, it provides what's called a supranormal stimulus. And essentially what that is, is it's a, um, it's a stimulus that's provided to the brain through so many pictures of so many different kinds of, um, you know, wh whatever you're looking at on, on, in pornography that overwhelms the brain and it, it provides so much dopamine that it, um, that it almost, you get an overdose of dopamine. And one of the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, that happens then is that, um, you get to a point where you can only be sexually aroused by pornography and not by a human body. Um, and a, it's a, it's a steady gradual process, but the brain can become retrained to want, um, essentially two dimensional images on an iPhone, as opposed to, three-dimensional images in front of you. Yeah, and I know you get into that later on in the book, and so we'll talk about that as well. But I do want to read a quote uh, about basically how this deals with the brain, and it's from chapter three of the book, and it's from the chapter Porn in the Brain, and I'll read the quote here. Mm -hmm. Quote, Professor Wilson reports that several studies examining brain scans of pornography users, not addicts, but users, found that with increasing porn use comes a weaker brain, a reduced sense of reward from everyday activities, and weaker willpower. Therein lies one of the insidious elements of porn. It hooks a man and with more use weakens his ability to leave it behind. After prolonged pornography use, the reward system in the brain simply wears out, unquote. And yeah. so I guess to, to go even a little bit deeper, how is it even possible that that porn can be that strong? Because growing up, it's, it's just not a big deal, right? And then even you hear people talk about it. They talk about it like it's just like, 
you know, it's just like going to the bathroom. It's just like eating a sandwich. It's just part of their daily routine is mm-hmm. they watch porn and masturbate, or they just watch porn just to watch porn. So how, how is it possible that it could have that strong of a grip on the human brain? Well, because it goes after the same reward centers that are tapped into by heroin or cocaine or, um, uh, other behavioral addictions, alcohol, um, um, even gambling, um, so it it just provides such a strong stimulus because you have high speed internet porn where you don't have to wait a long time for a picture to download. You have you know thousands upon thousands of pictures on different websites, and you can click to one or another and another and another, and just um, it overwhelms the brain. It, it it when I was talking about a supernormal stimulus, it's essentially a stimulus that the brain was not designed to to handle. Um, so it just creates a different kind of uh, mechanism within people's brains. Well, and the other thing I feel like pornography does, and uh, I'm, if there is data behind this, I'm sure you have something that's in that direction. It basically changes how men, well, I'm specifically talking to my audience, which is overwhelmingly men, but it changes how men view themselves, but also how they view women. So yes. what, what is kind of your experience with, with that effect on men's brains in terms of just how they view themselves or others? Well, there's a a great study that was done. What they d- did was they hooked men up to MRI machines where they could actually look at their brains and then um, they showed them pornography because they wanted the neurologists who were doing this study wanted to see what parts of the brain kind of light up and fire when men look at pornography. And the parts of the brain that light up when uh, men look at pornography are the parts that refer to objects and not people. And so it's one of the things that, that we need to realize is that you may have heard the the phrase that uh, pornography objectifies women. It, it literally has men think of women more and more as objects and not people. And one of the reasons that's so insidious is that the more you think something's an object, the more you can hurt them. Um, so that's uh, a pretty dangerous result. Well, and the thing about it is, is most of the time you've heard someone say, oh, this objectifies women. And it's not it's seemingly not a, a real thing that is actually objectifying a woman. So we're almost right. desensitized to that statement. But the way you should think about it is when people groups have been 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 labeled as less than yeah. humans. You think about uh, Nazis or or you know any other type of thing that was done with the Nazis and the Jews. They, oh, they yeah. basically turned people into thinking that Jews were not humans, and then right, that they made them rats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, and what do you do with rats? You exterminate them. Right. And so, and so all of your propaganda and all the things that you say after that, it lands a little bit better on the user's ears. And so, but from, from your perspective, why is it so hard for men that maybe, maybe do care about women? They care about their sister. They care about their mom to just see the women on the screen in a different way. Like why the disconnect cognitively? Hmm. That's a good question. I I, I think because often they don't look at the women on the screen as real women. They look at them as body parts and they're focused on certain body parts when they're consuming the pornography. And so they're, you know, they're not focusing on who this person is as an individual that she happens to be a mother or or a wife or a sister or a daughter. Um, But they just think of her as um, as an object to to masturbate to. 
Yeah. And I, I think that's something for a lot of men, a lot of men that I've talked to that have kind of gotten their pornography use completely under control is that they started thinking about that as like, wait a minute, that's someone's sister, that's someone's daughter. Maybe they have mm-hmm. daughters themselves. And they're like, I certainly wouldn't want another man looking at my, my daughter in that type of a way. Yeah. that And that too, is that a lot of the pornography that's on pornography websites, the women didn't agree to be in it. So you have lots of different kinds of pornography where people have, uh, pictures and videos taken of them where they didn't even consent to have the pictures taken or they consented to have the pictures or the videos taken, but then um, they didn't consent to it being uploaded to a website. So there there are lots of people who appear in porn and and you don't really uh, have their permission to, to watch it. And that's something that I think is also a big problem. Well, and one thing that I've even heard about recently is they have websites where children, people below the age of 18 have had pictures or videos of them uploaded. Maybe these pictures or videos were taken without their consent or knowledge, and they keep trying to find ways to bring down the content. But then even if they can get the website to bring the content down, that that video has already been redistributed or redownloaded. And that's yeah. kind of how you get this link between pornography and pedophilia. And you have another you know, I have another quote from your book that kind of goes into this a little bit more. And this is just absolutely shocking to know some of the, to the some of the statistics around it. So I'll read this quote here, quote, worldwide, worldwide pornography revenues from a variety of sources total approximately 100 billion annually, $100 billion. Child pornography is 20 billion of that bringing in 20% of the revenue to the pornography industry. As with most any business, the pornography industry has a vested interest in keeping 20% of its income intact. Research on male pornography users has found that 21% view child pornography as part of what they consume. These men are more likely than other men to be frequent viewers of pornography and to report that they enjoy new and exciting experiences. Not surprisingly, child pornography viewers are more likely than other pornography viewers to be interested in engaging in sexual behavior with underaged people. Related, when the sexual interests of child pornography offenders are assessed, they show more sexual arousal to children than adults, unquote. And so... I don't even really have a question there because even reading that makes my skin crawl, but there's an Mm -hmm. obvious link between pornography and pedophilia. No. Yes, there certainly is. And I think people, you know, that think of pedophiles as, you know, creepy old men who are trolling on the internet and looking for five-year-olds or something. But, um, and in some cases that's absolutely the case, but a lot of, well, let me let me back up for a second. A lot of pornography, is, and particularly more modern pornography, is made with models that are designed to look younger and younger. And the average age of um, people who appear in porn has gotten younger and younger. And then that kind of crosses over into um, teen porn and um, seeing people who are are even just pubescent. Um, and a lot of times men who really didn't intend to get into child porn end up getting there because they sought out a bigger thrill or they, it, it's more forbidden fruit and, and then they become more hooked on it. And then for some of those men, certainly not all, but for some of those men, they'll actually seek out experiences to live out that fantasy, which is, um, terrible. 
when I think any of the high profile cases, I mean, Jared from Subway comes to mind where this is the guy, this is the fat dude that isn't fat yeah. anymore. That's selling you, you know, a chicken sandwich or something like that. All of a sudden he's the guy that was looking at child pornography. But whenever you listen to any interviews or when you hear any of the uh, stuff from the court cases, it's exactly what you said. These people didn't start out with child pornography. They started no. out with you know, playboys that they had buried in the woods. And then they kind of moved to an old tape that they found at a garage sale or, or something like that. But then yeah. it just takes a matter of, of years and maybe even months for some people to get to that point. And one thing that I've seen is, you know, credit card companies are starting to get in on the action a little bit in terms of trying to maybe bring some of the influence or some of the, the, the pedophilic tendencies within porn away. I, I believe even recently there was a major pornography site that I'll remain, uh, I'll leave nameless that yeah. a big credit card company said, Hey, we're no longer going to allow our credit card to process payments on this site because this site has uh, child pornography as a part of their service and they can't seem to get it under control. Do you feel right. like that's, a good thing that we're going to see a, more of a trend of that? Because I'm very libertarian on a lot of things, but something like that, I feel like is obvious that they should do that, right? Yeah, I think it is. And and it's both MasterCard and Visa that um, that no longer will pay for uh, paid um, viewing on that particular website. And so I, I hope that does happen. I mean, I, I think there's, there's certainly um, – a lot to be said for being libertarian and for live and let live and, and make your own decisions and suffer the consequences or reap the rewards. But when we're talking about um, seeing images of children or seeing images of people who um, don't uh, choose to be in the images that they're in, it, it seems to me that the business community needs to figure out a way to be involved in the process of saying, hey, that crosses a line. Um, so, and I certainly think that it does. And John, I do want to go back to something that you brought up earlier, where you're basically talking about how viewers of porn are having sexual difficulties. You actually go into that in chapter 11 of your book, how porn uh -huh. is changing the way people are having sex. And so this is the, the last quote I'll read directly from the book, but it's here, quote, one of the greatest impacts that increasing pornography use is having on today's generation of teens and young adults is the sharp rise in cases of erectile dysfunction, the inability to obtain or maintain an erection during a sexual encounter. A study of heterosexual men addicted to pornography found that over 60% had erectile dysfunction with a woman, but not when they used pornography. Clearly, this is a pervasive issue. Thus, if a man is addicted to pornography, it is likely that he will be unable to function sexually with a woman, unquote. This is a big thing. And, and you, you yeah. have an entire huge section after this quote where you really get into the data about the percentages of reported erectile dysfunction of maybe our grandfather's generation versus mm -hmm. our generation. And it is absolutely staggering. Can you kind of give us a little bit more, uh, more context there on that? Sure. Um, the first initial studies on erectile dysfunction were done in the 1940s. And when they took a look at um, men who were under 30, they found that less than 1% of men had erectile dysfunction, which is what you would expect. Not, not many guys under 30 have a difficult time getting it up. But um, in the 90s, when more porn was available, there were 7% of men under 30 who had erectile dysfunction and urologists who kept seeing these men and couldn't figure out why are all these men under 30 coming into my practice who've had erectile dysfunction. Um, and in the 90s was pre-internet, but when there was a lot more pornography available, well, once you get to the the 2010s, um, then you have about 30% of, of men who are under 30 reporting erectile dysfunction. And that's um, 
just a gigantic number. It's actually, I guess, 33%. Um, so what that tells you is that porn has a very powerful influence on the brain, um, which then connects obviously to the penis and, and you can ha actually have erectile dysfunction from watching too much porn. Um, it, it's, a, a phenomenon of porn that I do like to talk about um, to, to people because a lot of times they'll say, oh, I love porn. It doesn't do any harm to me. And then if you actually ask them questions that they were willing to answer honestly about, well, how is, how is your sex life with your wife? They might, they might hem and haw and say, well, you know, that isn't like what it used to be. Well, they're not, they're not able to function sexually in a lot of cases. And that's um, so uh, it's sad. Well, it really goes to the overall point of your book, which is in the title is how pornography harms. Because again, right. I've had a lot of conversations with guys inside the church, outside the church, you know, secular, Christian, conservative, liberal, doesn't mm -hmm. matter. And uh, one of the big consensus that I get from a lot of these people that either don't know any better or don't want to know any better is that pornography is essentially harmless and that right. there, there are right. no victims of pornography and there aren't any things like that. But uh, as, as you know, and as a lot of people that study the industry or have looked into the types of data it is a conduit through which so many depraved things happen. One of the things about uh, human trafficking is a lot of it is it's trafficking people, trafficking in people that will be used for some forms of sexual enslavement as enslavement. Absolutely. And those will be yeah. people that are, are going to be unpaid prostitutes, or these are going to be people and, or, you know, acting in these films. And they're, they're basically their pimps are off screen or off camera, basically saying you have to do this or else type of a thing. Why do you feel right. like so many men, regardless of their background or their standing or their worldview, feel like pornography is just this amoral thing that's, that's or I, I guess not amoral, that wouldn't be appropriate, but they think it's just neutral. It's morally neutral would probably be a better way of saying it. Well, because so many of those men are achieving orgasm through pornography, and it's difficult to, I think, be a, an honest critic of a phenomenon if you're getting off on it. Um, so I, I think that creates problems for so many men that they want to basically say, oh, it's no big deal, or it's just this neutral thing because, um, they don't want to admit to themselves that, Hey, some of the people in this pornography that I'm watching may have been harmed or, uh, it could harm me in ways that I don't even know. I mean, we, we've only in this interview scratched the surface of some of the harms of pornography. I mean, you, we have... Um, lots of other areas that that people might not connect to their pornography use depression, for example, anxiety, um, loneliness. Um, there are lots of areas where pornography use can affect uh, parts of our lives that we wouldn't necessarily think connect, but um, but are actually quite harmful. Well, and the thing about the pornography industry is it's never stagnant. It's always changing. And I mean, your book yeah. was released in 2017. That was not uh -huh. very long ago, but no. I'm assuming, and it, and it feels like that a lot has changed in the pornography interest industry during that time. What can you tell us specifically about any trends that maybe you've seen since the release of your book? Um, one of the things I've noticed is that the, the levels of violence in pornography has gone up even more. Um, and there's now a form of porn called gore porn, which is, you know, like mimicking a gory movie, um, child porn, racist acts in porn. They've, they've all increased exponentially. And so it's, it's something where you, you, the porn industry has sought to keep moving the envelope 
and pushing it farther and farther and farther because what they know is that men who see a certain kind of pornography um, that might be kind of vanilla are going to look for something that's much more extreme to keep themselves hooked on it and to keep themselves um, masturbating to it. So um, those are those are some of the areas where I've seen some changes. Well, certainly on this podcast, we've talked about a lot of subjects, not this particular episode, but we've talked a lot about a lot of slippery slope types of arguments like, well, if uh-huh. you allow this, then you can allow that. In, right. in terms of what you just said about the pornography industry constantly pushing the envelope, where does this end? Because there is an yeah. end date and it's either an actual ending of something in the industry or it's rapture. And so there's something yeah. in there where this goes, like, where is this headed? Like, what can we expect? Well, I think what I've heard from people who study the industry um, closer than I do is that the porn industry is looking for more interactive experiences. So not necessarily that the content would be different, but that the experience of the porn user could be different in terms of virtual reality, uh, where you can move around a scene and and wherever you want to go or look at whatever you want to look at, Um, different things you can strap to your body that can sync to a film. Um, so that it becomes more interactive and more real. Um, so those are the areas that the porn industry, as I understand it, are, are getting involved in and looking to do because they, they've pushed the envelope so much in terms of violence and other things. There's not, there's not much more they can do. They, they can't shove more penises into a vagina than they already have or, or filled other holes or it just, they um or or put several fists inside a woman they 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 just they've maxed out there so they're looking for more interactive experiences well and that's that's partially one of the things that is terrifying for me because i'm i'm a father a new father of a son we have our first child he's about 8 months old as of this recording and i am i'm absolutely terrified of my son somehow becoming addicted to pornography. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. even before my wife and I got pregnant, you know, when we were talking about what it would be like to maybe have a boy or a girl, the big thing in her biggest fear about having a boy is that somehow he would get caught up in the whole porn thing. Cause I remember telling her yeah. just jokingly, it's like, you know, if we have a boy, we have to worry about one penis. And if we have a girl, we have to worry about all of the penises. And so <laughs> She didn't think that was nearly as funny as I did. But the thing about her is all she could think about was if we have a boy, then we have to worry about this porn problem, which, you know, gives uh, not the same amount of attention to girls having the same struggles, but as a parent, as someone who has a a blocker on his phone, not because he feels temptation, but just because it's the right thing to do. But as, as a parent, what, what can I actually do to prevent my son from viewing pornography when all the stats tell us that every year, the average age of the first viewing of pornography goes down and down and down? I think you have to come to terms with the fact that you can't prevent your son from looking at pornography, but you can put some blocks in place and and hopefully educate them enough about what pornography is and what it can do to them so that they make the choice not to. Because um, at some point or another, even if they decide not to look at pornography, one of the things I found in writing my book was that it, that looking at pornography becomes a rite of passage. And so I, I interviewed this one guy who um, who stayed away from pornography until the age of 14 and, and all the other people on his sports team found out. And so, you know, anytime any of them had a cell phone around, they would put pornography in his face. So he would have to see it and he ended up being addicted to pornography. So it's, it's very difficult to prevent it entirely. One of the things I've done with my son is I, I talk about it frequently. So it's not a subject that surprises him when it comes up. And I talk about how, um, 
it's harmful to both men and women and how it can be harmful to him. And we go through some of those, those harms. Um, he's not a sexual being yet. He's only 11 years old. So, um, but he does understand, um, some of the harms and he knows that the daddy doesn't want him to do this. And I think that that's an important part of, of raising a son and not just having the talk, um, or one conversation, but have it to be an ongoing dialogue that you have about pornography and, the fact that, you know, people are probably going to try and show it to you. What can you do if that happens? Uh, you may come across it online. It's okay to tell daddy that you did, but um, I have covenant eyes on his, uh, on his devices and actually on his sister's devices too, because I just, I, I think that it's a, it's at least um, an initial barrier so that you don't stumble into porn when you're not expecting it. Well, and since you have an 11 year old boy, I was kind of wondering, you know, tactically, what do you do and at what age? So when is maybe too early to have that type of conversation? Is it contextual to the maturity level of the kid or whether or not they have bonehead friends or, you know, when, yeah. when would be a good time to start having those conversations to where they actually have some level of understanding as to what you're even talking about? I actually had a, um, did a, a, a mini workshop for kids who were five years old um, and five and six. And what we did is I, I had a couple of them role play, like, um, you know, one kid would go up to another and say, do you want to see a picture of a naked girl? And, you know, you would, he would show his iPhone to the other kid and I, and the other kid's job was to say, no, I don't want that in my life. Um, and just, teaching them that that should be their first instinct is to say no um, and to look away. Um, as much as they might be drawn to the images, if they know that the harms that could have been done to the person in that image, if they know the harms that can be done to them long-term and that it affects their own sexual development, um, it makes it more likely that they're not going to turn to porn when, uh, when they get older. And so I think that's important for fathers, but obviously fathers themselves are just men that listen to this. We have some single guys, some young guys that listen to this as well. We've yeah. talked about how the pornography industry is always evolving. And, and you talked about, you know, with doing the virtual reality and different things like that, it's, it's only going to get crazier for, for men. So how can men steer clear of porn when it's literally getting easier and easier to access because grown men aren't accidentally finding porn. That is a, a child's type of thing where they go from this video to that video, then all of a sudden they, they click the wrong link and, and they're seeing something that they, they can't unsee. But for right. grown men that are, are finding it harder and harder to fight the urge because of the easier access, what, what does that guy do? I think a couple of things. One is I would get something like Covenant Eyes on his phone um, because that that at least you have to work hard to get around it. And if you set it up honestly and you have a friend put a password in there that you don't know, um, it makes it a whole lot less likely that you're going to access it on your phone. The other thing I think is real important for guys is to have an accountability partner who you can really just open up with and be honest with. And um, if you do look at porn, say something, but to make a commitment together that, hey, we're going to we're gonna be in the struggle together and we're not going to look at porn. And it's because of the harms that it has to our lives and to our uh, to, to important women in our lives as well. And so um, I think both the accountability piece and the the blockers on on phones are both very important. Well, and to that accountability, like at different times in my life, I've, I've had direct accountability partners. And I just got to tell you guys, 
There is nothing worse for your boner than knowing you're going to have to report what you did with it to a buddy the next day or later that day. I I mean, it's kind of funny to say it that way, but I'm dead serious. And I had other buddies tell me the same because I was their accountability partner. And it's just like, you don't want to be thinking about me when you're, when you're looking at porn, you know, like that's not really what you want going through your mind, but if that's what it takes to get you to kind of stop and think a little bit extra because with any addiction, it's not something that we trip and fall into. It is a series of decisions that we've made. It's like, we knew we were going to be alone. We knew no one was going to be around. We didn't tell anybody. And then we got bored and then we stuck our hand down our pants and then we turned on the computer. It's so many different levels before you get to the actual act. And Mm -hmm. I think most guys don't, they don't look at it that way. They, they get to the end. And I remember I'm going a little bit off subject, but I remember really early in my Christianity and in my young life, I went to this accountability group with a bunch of men. There was probably 30 men in the room and we kind of got in these little pods where we were discussing things. And every guy in this little circle just kept saying how they failed that week. And here mm. I am sitting there as a young guy and, and, you know, everybody in the, in the groups, like every time they would tell their little story, they were like, oh man, I'm so sorry. And, you know, do better next week. And the accountability was so weak that there was really no benefit to them coming in the next week, having said that they had any types of success because it would have been a similar kind of milk toast reaction. So uh, in my opinion, I'd like to get the opinion from you is in an accountability relationship, I'm a fan of more direct, more forceful accountability while still having grace. You know, Jesus came full of grace and truth, but I don't feel like more of the the graceful, it'll be okay types of accountability works for the long term. Like what what would you say, where would you say you fall on that? I would um, probably fall close to where you are. I think that we need to, you know, we need to lead with grace to sweeten the pill that's hard to swallow to say the law says you shouldn't do that. Um, And so I think that partly we need to have conversations with our accountability partners to be like, you know, well, to, to really unmask why it happened and to to take a look at, you know, what were your triggers, what happened before, what happened, um, you know, just prior to, and how can we work together to make sure you're not masturbating to pornography again, and to use the terms masturbating to pornography, um, and to not let them off the hook by just saying, oh, well, I just did the stupid thing or whatever, but no, to make him say what it is that he did, and 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 to really have a, a heart-to-heart conversation about why and uh, how we can prevent it to, from happening in the future, not just like, oh, yeah, I messed up again. Ha ha. I mean, that's not accountability. That's just a joke. Right. One thing that it's, you know, I hate that you even have to ask a question like this, but pornography use is not just a phenomenon of, of secular individuals or atheistic individuals. It is pervasive amongst Christians. And oh, I yeah. guess the reason uh, why like, the reason why escapes me, because it's kind of one of those things where it's like, we're, we're all human beings at the end of the day, but if you presume to have some sort of insight into the true morality of the universe and where it comes from and where you go when you die, you, you might act a little bit differently. But why is pornography use so prevalent amongst Christians and, you know, basically similar to that of the rest of the populace? Well, I'd all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think that's part of it. Um, and particularly with men, uh, I think pornography has such a strong pull um, that it's well let me let me let me back up even a little bit more 
there is some research out there that does show that the more religious a guy is, the more he attends church, the more he is in accountability relationships, all of the, all of that, the less he looks at porn. Um, so there is a relationship between Christianity and pornography that's inverse. Um, but a lot of Christian men are struggling with porn. A lot of Christian men are looking at porn and even pastors are doing the same. So um, w- it's difficult to describe why do people sin? And I think it's because, you know, for a moment they think that they know better than God and they can do what they, it is that they want to do. But usually there's disappointment and self-loathing that happens uh, afterwards. Um, and it's just, it's just a sad thing. Here's one thing that I feel like is a interesting subject, especially since both of us kind of admitted to some libertarian type tendencies. Do you honestly see a scenario where pornography is regulated or outlawed in the United States in some way. And, you know, what would have to happen either in the industry or just in the morality of the morality of the United States to see something like that happen? I think it's possible. Well, actually a lot of pornography that out there that's out there is illegal. Um, If it's obscene, it's illegal, according to the Supreme Court. What we need to do is we need to prove in court that it's obscene and we need more. We need federal prosecutors to actually take those cases. And in a lot of of situations, they're not willing to take those cases. And so um, there are other groups out there that are nonprofits that are starting to gear up to sue the porn industry for the obscene obscene nature of their products and services. and that's one of the things that helped lead to, uh, you know, one website not being able to take the credit cards uh, that we talked about earlier in the podcast. So I do think that it's it's possible that if we can actually get in front of a jury and, and show them the extreme pornography that's out there, they will say, yes, that's obscene, it's illegal, and the people who are making it need to go to prison. Um, I, I, there are enough big porn companies that you can do that to, that you can really cut um, a major uh, blow to the porn industry. But will porn ever go away entirely? No, uh, not until Christ comes back. But I think we can still engage in the battle and fight it. And I think there, there are legal ways of doing that. I mean, you know, using the law, there are ways of doing that. And I think that that's uh, something that I see on the horizon happening more and more. All right, John. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here on this podcast, but I do have one more segment left to go in this episode. This is something we do with all of our interviews. It is a lightning round of sorts. It's called, what would you say to someone that said? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, what would you say to someone that said? I'm going to fill in the blank there at the end, but you get 30 seconds maximum to give your response. Even if it's a big topic, even if you want to keep going on and on and you're a pretty concise guy, which I appreciate, but you got 30 seconds and I'm going to keep you to it. So do you feel like you're up for it? Okay. Sure. All right. Let's do it. First one here. What would you say to someone that said the U S government should intervene and try to ban porn? Yes, I do believe that they should try to ban porn. Um, And I think you can do that through legal means. I think you need to be realistic about the fact that you're not going to be able to get rid of all of it. But I think you can get rid of that, which is obscene and illegal. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said porn helps me worship God by worshiping his beautiful creation? I would say that you are deluded, excuse me, delusional um, and that is not something that helps you worship God. It really helps you worship yourself and perhaps an image. But um, no, um, if you think that that helps you worship God, you need to read God's word a little bit more closely. 
And for anyone who thinks that uh, I just made that up, I've actually heard that argument before. So it like it's wow, it is it is a diluted <laughs> argument, but I've actually heard someone give that as as a Christian argument for why we should watch porn. So anyway, we'll get back into it here. What would you say to someone that said, as long as I don't masturbate, there's no big deal with watching pornography? Well, that's that's not true because you you have people in porn who don't choose to be there, and so you're essentially um, raping them with your eyes is one way of, of saying it. Um, and it can still harm you in terms of loneliness, depression, anxiety, um, uh, short-term memory, lots of other things, whether or not you're, you're masturbating. That just sounds like a, a technical argument that um, doesn't hold a lot of water. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, acting in porn films allows young people the ability to make a lot of money and establish themselves financially? Um, complete baloney. Um, they, they might make a little money for a while, but the, the thing about porn stars is that you might have a few who, um, make several movies, but what, uh, the male appetite tends to rely on is novelty. And, um, so the actors are cycled through rather quickly. And when you look at the porn industry. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, it's a free country. If people want to watch porn, who cares? Well, it's a free country, but you can't kill someone. It's a free country. You can't shoot someone um, who's not, you know, entering your house or, you know, something like that. So um, I think there need to be legitimate limits on the freedoms that we have. And that's one of the things that makes a society that's coherent. And uh, one of the things that I think should be regulated much more is, is the porn industry. All right. Next one. What would you say to someone that said, I can't stop watching porn? I would say I can understand how you would say that you can't stop watching it and that you feel like you can't. But I I would have a little bit more faith in yourself and in God, if you have faith in God, um, that he has the ultimate power in the universe. And when you kind of connect yourself to that power, um, you have the power to defeat porn within you. And I think that's something that that the more you know God and the more you learn about him, the more you can uh, understand it. All right. A couple left. What would you say to someone that said, I don't want to stop watching porn? I'd say that's your choice. Um, But I I think it's going to harm you in many ways that you might not realize, whether that's loneliness, depression, erectile dysfunction or, or any other things. Do you really want to have erectile dysfunction in your relationships? Is that what you're saying? All right. Last question of the day, John, what would you say to someone that said porn is harmless? <laughs> um, no, it's not. Um, there, are, there are so many harms. I can't even get that into 30 seconds, but I, I think I've said it a few different times. I mean, erectile dysfunction, loneliness, depression, uh, limited short-term memory, uh, looking at women as objects and not people. Um, they're just many, many harms that are there that you might not realize because you might be masturbating to it. But I think we need to have a little bit more of a educated approach to it. Excellent. Well, John, we have covered a lot of ground on this podcast. We've gone all over the place, but that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, no, I just, well, I would, I would say one thing that if they want to try out covenant eyes, which I've recommended a couple of times, they can get it free for a month by putting my last name in the coupon code box. And so if you put forward F O U B E R T and the coupon code, they can get covenant eyes for free for a month. And that might be a way of trying it out just to see if that's something that you want. So 
that would be the only other thing I would add. All right, guys, I will make sure that is in the show notes for you. But otherwise, John Fobert, thanks for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been my privilege and honor. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know it's kind of a heavier subject, but I know that this is going to help a lot of you guys. So I appreciate you sticking with us all the way till the end. Before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So the resources we've got for you today, I've got John's website. I've also got a link to his Amazon page where you can buy How Pornography Harms. And then also I've got the link to Covenant Eyes where you can go and put in the code FOBERT. That's F-O-U-B-E-R-T to get a month off. And guys, I'm a Covenant Eyes user. They do an incredible job. There, There are some other filtering softwares out there that just aren't quite as good. That is the Ferrari of these types of platforms and types of technologies. So you should definitely try that out if you have not used it. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2021, so if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your men's event, at your company, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. The email is info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Undaunted Life or Facebook.com backslash Undaunted Life. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.